Welcome back, everybody, to another CC Football Podcast episode. Today is, uh, well, I was going to say exciting, but <clears throat> then I looked at the agenda and saw United on there and not as excited anymore. <laughs> today is going to be, um, what, what do you say, Clay? A, a quick, short United-Liverpool kind of focused one, but then we're going to revisit our, our predictions, our Premier League predictions. Some are going well, some aren't, and then we're going to see how we're going to re- predict those reorder them and see any big changes we have and we're going to react to our prediction at the beginning of the season how are you feeling today clay i'm feeling good life is good you know liverpool are doing okay um but i guess it's all relative so compared to you my life is, is splendid so uh <laughs> at least in the terms of the football world my my life is splendid and you know we're about a third of the way through the season so if we figured this would be a good time to revisit what we had predicted at the very beginning and what has gone right, what has gone wrong and what we might want to altercate a little bit um, in order to, you know, revise our predictions a little bit before the rest of the season kicks off. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't actually remember. I do remember a lot of my predictions and I think I'm doing all right, but th- there's a couple I can think of off the bat that I know I've got horribly wrong. So I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for those, but. Hopefully, I'll be able to come up with some some excuses by the time we get there. <laughs> All right, well, so let's kick it off. Last time we last time we talked, it was right after the United versus Liverpool game when you, we all remember this. United lost to Liverpool five zero, and I don't remember you know, the emotions were they were running high, they were running high, and we both, I guess, came to the conclusion that Ole needed to be sacked. Whether that's now, as in like when we were recording it or in the next few days, or at the end of this season. And Craig, I think the exact opposite of what we had concluded came to be true, right? Uh, yeah, he's, he's going strong, as he does, as he does. <laughs> this is what Ollie does. You know, he finds a way to stay in the job. Um, you know, he beat Tottenham the next week, and 3-0 Tottenham, I mean, that was, it was a great win. Don't get me wrong. That performance was a solid performance. That's the most solid performance we've seen from United in a while. But let's be honest. I mean, that was against a shambolic Tottenham team. And it was probably more, you know, to Tottenham's, whatever the opposite of credit is, than to United's credit that we had a solid performance in that game. Um, But, you know, he got the 3-0 win. And then against Atalanta, we played an absolutely horrific game. um, And came came away 2-2. Cristiano Ronaldo doing what Cristiano Ronaldo does. Um, and 2-2, and we, we come away with an away draw, which is huge, and now we're tied top of the table and looking like most likely like we're going to go through. And Ollie finds a way to stay in the job. And then we're going into City, and you know what everyone's thinking, another shambolic performance, but maybe he'll pull something out of the hat, find a way to stay in the job. Um, unfortunately for him, only the first half of that was true. Um, probably, I would say, the worst and the most demoralizing performance of the season, including the 5-0 against Liverpool for me, because even though the scoreline says 2-0, it was so much worse. It was like a, as Gary Neville kept saying, it was like a, it was like a peaceful destruction. I forget the word he used, but I think that was, it was around there somewhere. It was like, you know, very calm. But there was just we, we didn't touch the ball. We just had nothing to do. We may as well not have been on, we we could have sent just De Gea out to that game and the scoreline still would have been 2-0. It would have been the exact same. He would have yeah. saved all, all the shots except two. 
uh, and then they would have won the game. They, that was the most he, dominating 2-0 win ever, I think. Um, yeah, and that's definitely just, not what you want to see in a Manchester derby, which is one of the biggest games of the year. Yeah, it is. I mean, the two biggest games of the year, um, in the Premier League at least, are City and, and Liverpool. And both have been absolutely... Uh, we've just been ripped to shreds in very, very different ways. I would say Liverpool, we were ripped to shreds. And City, we were just slowly deflated to like, I don't know, just the confidence or any any confidence that United players or fans or anything might have had at the beginning of the game was just slowly. It was like torture watching that game, which is different than the Liverpool game, which is like shock almost. Yeah, at least at least for the Liverpool game, you know, the United fans, they had no hope. After, like even 20, 30 <laughs> minutes in, you knew you were the game was lost. Right. At least. Yeah. But for the City game. The scoreline was close enough where you say, okay, well, we're still in it. We're still in it. But really, <laughs> in reality, you were not still in it, you know? No. Um, but, you know, I, aside from the results, we were saying, and at least at the beginning of the last time we recorded, the front runner for the United job was Antonio Conte, who <laughs> since then, after the uh, Tottenham game, was has been hired as the manager for Tottenham. Yep. Uh, and so... You couldn't write the script. Yeah. As, as, as one of our good friends of the show, Clay Troyer from Tottenham Talk, who, by the way, we just recorded a, a nice little podcast with them, so go check them out. I think it'll be up sometime today or tomorrow. Um, yep. But he dubbed that game as El, Cla- El Sakiko, and I think that that was true. I, I, I also think that if... Like you said, um, last time we were recording, that if United lost first Tottenham, then or if they didn't even get a result, then Tottenham would have already Tottenham would have been in the opposite position, and Conte would be right now managing United. But that's not the case. Yeah, it's not the case. And honestly, the thing is, though, the worrying thing in a way, as you know, as everyone knows, I do love Ollie, but you know, I have. Uh, reluctantly moved over to the position that maybe it is time for him to for, for a change at United. But the the worrying thing is about what you just said is that even if we lost to Tottenham, I mean, so, like after the Liverpool loss, everyone's like he's got to go. Like what? How much worse can it get? And then City do the exact same thing, and he's still in his job, and all the reports say he's still going to stay here. So would he actually have been sacked even if we had lost to Tottenham? Well, you know, I don't think I, I, don't I think he might have. Though the, the only question is like he would have been sacked because they know that they had someone that would have been an upgrade at the position, but now there are no clear front runners for, so if they hypothetically do sack Ole now, who are they going to hire? Are they going to hire Graham Potter? Are they going to hire someone else that is going to be like from a lower table team? Cause right now those are the candidates that they're going to be looking at. They're not going to yeah. be looking at the, the managers that are proven the a list, if you will, managers that, that have been linked with the job previously. Yeah, and you have to wonder, like, what, maybe, maybe this was the United United board. I mean, we almost very incompetent board. Maybe this was their thought process was like, after the Liverpool loss, was like, hey, you know, next three games, Tottenham, Atalanta, City, huge games, right? Those could have like, those could have a massive impact on the rest of the season. If if Oli goes and wins those games, then all of a sudden, you know, huge confidence. Maybe we'll go on a run like he's done so many times before. That would be huge. Um, if he loses the games, then that would be very demoralizing. But then, you know, it's only three weeks later. It's only not three weeks. It's only two weeks from now, as in now being after the Liverpool game, only two weeks from now, we'll bring in Conte then. And then that'll be the spark to like, 
you know what I mean? So that won't affect the rest of the season because we will make a change. So maybe that was their thinking. That didn't go well for them because two weeks later, we are in that demoralizing situation and Conte is not available. So now it's kind of the worst of both options. Yeah, you're just kind of... All right, I think at this point, like I said earlier, I mean, I had I had been an advocate for keeping Ole until the end of the year because I still think that he can do a job at least... Top to, four, maybe. To maybe, maybe squeak out top four. Uh and then move on from him at the end of the season. And then you have more candidates after that to, to move on. And it'll be a more natural transition to a manager rather than we all know mid season transitions to managers are, can be very difficult, especially when uh, you bring in a manager that tactically is going to try to employ a very different style than mm. which I think we can say that any manager is going to be employing a very tactically different style than Ole because he doesn't really have any, clear can clear tactics that he's been he's been consistently implementing in his squad you know after the liverpool game he switched to this back back five formation which that's to my own horn but i did kind of allude to that might be a possibility um but one thing i didn't understand is so i the one reason why i said that united could transition into this back five formation is because that would allow him to play pogba and bruno together in the midfield but mm. that hasn't been the case. He's still playing McFred and the back five, which just basically leaves all of your rely. They're just starting to rely on three players. Whoever is playing up front with Ronaldo and Bruno on producing all of their attacking and goal scoring output, especially when Luke Shaw is not producing going forward. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, I mean, nothing's really gone well. The only thing, as I said in our, our last episode, the only thing that's gone well, is De Gea and you know that's not really something you want to say about about a big team is that you know the goalkeeper has been playing you you want to say that goalkeeper playing well but realistically you, you don't want the goalkeeper to have that much to do right um and you don't want him to be your best player really so yeah not looking great for United um one thing I, well, I had I, I saw this on Twitter um is that I guess man so we all have known that the Jaden Sancho saga took a long mm. time, right? He has been scouted for a while. He had been linked with United for years. Then the transfer was delayed. And then they finally bring him in for a ton of money, right? He plays on the wing. And then now Ole is transitioning to this formation. And Ole was the one who really wanted United to bring in Sancho. Yeah. And then Ole transitions into this formation where, like, where does he fit in? Where does he play on this formation where you're playing wing backs and then two strikers and then and then three midfielders? Like you don't have you don't have any wingers there, right? Where does Marcus Rashford? Where does where does Janus Sancho? Two of your arguably best players, where do they fit into here? And I had seen on Twitter that they had been training and Sancho had been practicing as a right wing back in in training. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous that he's he spent so much money on on this player who undeniably is so talented and then he's gonna try to play him out of position and for what yeah i i don't know what to make of these reports or what to do i mean this even i know you like you said that he might go to it and he did go to the three five two or whatever you want to call it five three two but let's be honest that's not what at least I think that's not what United want to be playing with the squad that we have. Um, we want to be playing 
you know, three up top because we have very talented wingers, like you said, and then Ronaldo, Cavani, or Greenwood in the middle, something like that. We want to be able to have Rashford's pace on the left, but not need to rely on him to do defensive work like Shaw can. We want to we want to have those three up front and also have Shaw and Juan Bissaka getting up as well because they have that capability and because they can rely on Varane and Maguire to be holding down. This is all hypothetical. This is what we would have expected. Um, we don't want to be playing five defenders plus two defensive midfielders, McTominay and Fred, and then just leaving like Ronaldo and, and then Bruno also expecting to be dropped back and then just leaving Ronaldo all up on his own. Our biggest asset, I think, that we've had, the one constant that United have been very good at is pace over the last few years. And that's what's gotten us out of so many games. That's the reason we've been able to contend with the big teams, even when we haven't been doing well. That's the reason Oli has, I think, a plus or even record against Pep. Um, teams like, you know, teams like PSG is the reason is because we are able to sit back and then play that long ball to our wingers, to Rashford over top, to, you know, to Greenwood over the other side, to Martial when he's... Dan James. Dan James, yeah. Now, if we're playing two forwards, you know, like Cavani and Ronaldo, and they were brilliant against Tottenham, don't get me wrong. You can tell their experience and they're finishing their link up. But uh, where is the pace? Where are our wingers? It's just, I don't know. And if it works, it works. I got nothing against the system. But, I mean, Jaden Sancho, you really think he wanted to come to United to be playing right wing back? No. Um, no, like that's not what he is. He's he's an attacking-minded player. He's a creator. So we'll see what happens. But, I mean, even even a 4-4-2, as traditional as that is, I feel like would be slightly better because um, then at least we can play him as an outside midfielder, which, honestly, he probably is more of an outside midfielder than a typical winger. But um, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Um, at this point, if we can at least just start getting results, I'll take whatever we're getting at this point. Um, let's just get results, push up to fourth and, and stay in fourth until the end of the season. And I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't think that the, the run of, of games is not going to get any easier. You know, it's nope. been well documented that this next couple of months or this last month and this upcoming month is very difficult for United. They have Watford um, coming up, which should be a win, but you never know. And then yeah. you have Villarreal in the Champions League, which is a big, big game. You know, United still have to secure advancement from their group. And then you have Chelsea and Arsenal and Crystal Palace, who have been catching some teams out, like City. Uh, so, and then you have Young Boys in the Champions League final or the Champions League group stage final match day. So, you know, a lot of big games coming up. And um, I guess now, I as a process of elimination, United have been stuck holding Ole as their manager because I don't think there are any standout managers. Like if you're going to sack your manager in the middle of the year, there has to be someone that you know is going to be taking your, your team over. And you know that you would rather have them in the come up, come in the middle of the year than your current situation. And I don't really see that right now. Because like so many teams and we this all the time, this is a very normal thing in football to hire an interim manager. And that's what Ole was when he came in. The only problem is you have to be clear when you hire an interim manager that this is an interim manager, right? Hire someone because the situation is really bad to take over for the rest of the season and, you know, just steady the ship a little bit, get us through, and then, you know, kind of prepare. So would you be an advocate year. for that? Potentially. I, I think something needs to change. Listen, something's got to change. I mean, if we had beaten City, then, you know, maybe I'd be 
I still obviously would have thought that something needed to change, but not as urgently because maybe we have some momentum. Maybe we can build on it. But I, I mean, look at that run that you just said too. Like this could completely, um, I mean, this could end our season this next month easily. Um, and so maybe, you know, making the change now is not a bad idea because we're, we're in a bad place now. So I, I wouldn't really blame them. You couldn't really blame Manchester United for bringing in an interim manager, even if he doesn't do well in this next run. You know what I mean? It's not, I, I don't yeah. think personally that you could say like, oh, well, it's your own fault for bringing a new manager. No, because your old manager was also losing. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. But I just don't, I don't think Ole is that bad. Like, I don't think that he, I think he's just a, a victim of the high expectations that United have. I think he could be a decent manager at a smaller club with lower expectations. However, like, I don't see that an interim manager coming in and getting that many better results than what United are getting right now. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, I, sometimes the grass is greener. Um, and like you said, something does need to change. Yeah. We'll see. And always like a cat, he has unlimited lives, right? So right when he's on the hot seat, right when he's getting pushed out the door, he pulls through some amazing, amazing results. And I mean, that's the thing about Ollie, right? Is that he has the craziest stats you'll ever see because he only has stats on either extreme. I literally saw back to back on Twitter or maybe a couple of tweets in between. I saw a stat and it was, and this is true because it, it pops up on during the Premier League game weeks too. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer has the third most points of any manager in the league since he's been appointed. It's just Pep and Klopp, I think, who have more points than him um, since he's been appointed since over the last three years. Um, and then you're like, okay, if you didn't know anything, you'd be like, oh, you know, he's done well. He's done decent. Like Pep and Klopp, City, Liverpool, those are the most dominant teams. He's done well to keep United in that. And then right next. Like, yeah, but right also after, that you have, to, you have to take that stat into context, though, because who are the other teams that would have been in contention for that stat? It would be Chelsea, but they've changed managers since then, like in that time, right? Yeah, but I mean, and, that's. Go ahead. And I'm, and I'm just saying that there aren't. That I think that stat can be misleading just because of the fact that other teams have that would have competed for that third most would have have changed managers since then. That's true, but okay. So I mean, so I mean, the thing is, I'm just giving you examples, right? Because there could be another example about Manchester United broke the longest away unbeaten streak in history in the Premier League history. That that's what they, yeah, that is they, true. They yeah. just wouldn't lose away from home. He has those kinds of stats. He has, like I said, I think a positive or even record against Pep. You know, he's done this. It's like all these crazy things you see that only one or two managers have done. And you're like, oh, wow, this guy must be good. And then you'll see a stat. And this is word for word what I saw. And this is true as well. 21% of Manchester United's home defeats in Premier League history have come under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He has managed a fifth of our, of our defeats at home in history, in our entire history, have come under him. And so... um. It's just, I honestly, I don't even remember what my point was, but the point was just that he, you, like you said, you'd never know what to expect with him. Um, he can, he can pull off some crazy runs. He can, you know, pull off some crazy wins. He can pull off some crazy stats. Uh, and then at the same time, he can, you know, lose to some worse, some horrible teams and put in some horrific performances. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know what to expect with him. Yeah. Let's move on to Liverpool and, since we last spoke, they've had a, I guess you could call it a mixed bag of results, right? Perfectly First, balanced. Perfectly, a win, a loss, and a draw. A win, a loss, and a draw. 
everything is equal as Thanos would say. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, actually, they've had two wins because they beat Preston in the Carabao Cup, which we all know we know is Klopp's favorite competition. So, yeah. um, but no, uh, so they they drew versus Brighton, then they won versus Atletico Madrid to secure top not only uh, advancement through the group stage, but they secured top spot in their group, and then they lost to West Ham. So, Craig, I want to hear your thoughts first on. Liverpool right now, and specifically their three most w- recent games. Because they've only taken one point from the last two games in the league, but then they did beat and win the in the group of death, I guess you could call it. Uh, I don't want to like overreact because, let's be honest, Liverpool are looking phenomenal this season, right? They've been great. They've done – City, Chelsea, let's be honest. Everyone expected four teams to be unbelievable this season. City, Chelsea, United, Liverpool. Um, We've discussed, I think we all know which of those teams is the odd one out. The other three teams have done exactly what people expected them to do. They've been dominant. They've been playing well. Yes, they've all had some slight hiccups. And maybe this was, you know, Liverpool's hiccup, you know, the, the last couple of games. But I will preface by saying Liverpool have been amazing. They're doing what people expected them to do. And they look like real title challengers, real Champions League challengers, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, I am slightly worried, not with the fact that they tied Brighton, not just that they tied Brighton and lost to West Ham, but it was also kind of the fact that they conceded five goals in those two games, right, to tie Brighton. And and we know that those teams have both been good teams. They've been attacking teams and scoring goals this season. But I just think back to last year, for example, and you don't, you know, something happens, Liverpool has a hiccup, let's say the 7-2 defeat. That was a major hiccup, I understand. But, you know, everyone says it's just a one-time thing. It's Liverpool, whatever. And, you know, they seem to recover from it. And then suddenly they lose a game at home. I can't remember what it was. And, you know, and then they draw the next game at home. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, there are six, you know, six losses at Anfield in a row. And that's the reason that I'm worried is just that I think the next game has to be a win. Who do you guys play next? Arsenal. That's huge. I feel like that has to be a win because all of a sudden, like those Brighton's not, it's not a big deal that they, that they drew to Brighton. It's not a massive deal. It's, it's not a huge deal that they lost to West Ham. It, you know, those are just, it wasn't, you know, they didn't get the results. It happens to every team, but all of a sudden, if it becomes three games now, you know what I mean? When you, when you, with three games without a win, then slowly the confidence starts dropping. And then that kind of sends a snowball, or at least it did last season. Um, so that's the only reason I'd be worried, but and because there's been five goals, because that's what can lead to the confidence crumbling is is if is if you know you're letting in a goal every every now and then. Yep. But I mean, overall, I'm definitely overreacting because Liverpool don't really have anything to worry about yet. I'm just saying potentially with another game without a win, maybe maybe they will start to worry a little bit. I agree with you. I think that uh, the last the last two results in the premier league have been disappointing especially when you uh chelsea and city have both dropped points in that span too so that you can see that would be a time where if liverpool were to win both those games or even one of them that would have been a great opportunity for them to really put their foot in in the door as a title contender which they still are they're only four points back from chelsea right now but they could have been at chelsea or above them if they had gotten the results that we would have expected um, yeah, yeah. 
like you said, defensively, I think, I mean, if you look at the league table and Liverpool have conceded 11 goals so far this year, City and Chelsea, who we consider the other two title contenders, have only conceded six and four, respectively. So that's a that's a big difference um, in the terms of in terms of goals conceded. But on the flip side, Liverpool have scored 31 goals and they, they have a better goal difference than than the city. So, like, I think that they are kind of you remember when that, that one year where Liverpool uh, went to the Champions League final and they were like scoring goals like for fun that was the same year that they signed van dyke and they the first year and they were scoring goals but they're also conceding a ton that's what the last few matches kind of remind me of is that they are scoring so many goals but also their defense is a little bit leaky and i think really what needs to happen is one andrew robertson needs to step up his game he's been pretty poor the last three matches um yeah not getting many fantasy points yeah, I mean, like his 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 deliveries have consistently gone, or his I guess his quality has consistently gone downhill. I, he didn't play versus Atletico, but he played versus West Ham and Brighton, the two games where we dropped points. Um, and to be honest, Simikas has looked really good when he's yeah, played. dude. Um, so I I think that there's honestly some competition for Robertson, and he needs to step up his game. Um, but also I think that we need to have a consistent partner with Van Dyke. We all know Joel Matip has, when he plays, he's pretty solid. However, that's when he plays and he physically, just in terms of his injury proneness, cannot play every single match. You have to have some rotation if if Matip is going to be your first choice Van Dyke partner. And for me, I think then you start turning towards, okay, well, maybe consistency especially in the back consistency is very very key to building a strong defense i think that maybe we should start looking towards kanate to be that partner with van dyke and you know we've eased him in after signing him this season or this summer he was our only signing this summer um and i think it's he's had his time to ease in and i think he's had a great luxury that a lot of players that are bought for that much money are not afforded is to be eased into their team and to get acclimated. But now is the time for him to show what he's worth. And when he's played, he's actually looked pretty good. So um, I think the defensive issues can can sort themselves out. Brighton, as we can uh, we'll address later, they've been overachieving a little bit so far uh, compared to expectations. And then West Ham have kept up their incredible form from last year, and now they're sitting in third. So when you consider you lost to the team in third place, it's not the end of the world. Um, one thing that is pretty concerning for me is that I see these, a lot of injuries stacking up again for Liverpool. Um, last year was in the defense and this year it's in the midfield. And of course, last year we, I mean, we lost Lovren last year. We sold him and didn't replace him this year. We sold or why not left on a free and we didn't replace him with a new player. And now you have injuries to Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, James Milner, Nabi Keita, um, Tiago has been out, um, Fabinho has been out. Like almost every single midfielder on our team has been injured at some point in time throughout the season. And now, so you're seeing Ox starting, and you're seeing uh, a lot of different players who you probably wouldn't expect to be starting playing 
and actually like getting meaningful minutes that in games that we need to win. So I think that aside from the well-documented Liverpool need to send a forward in the January window because Mane and Salah are going to be going to AFCON. I think we also need to sign a midfielder just to add to some depth. And like at this, at this point, Milner is getting old. He can't be relied on to be playing every single game. Kate's injury issues are, are well-documented. And then Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, they're still very young, right? You don't want them to be needing to have the pressure of being performing every single game. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit concerning in terms of the midfield, but we all know that the midfield isn't the the most important aspect of the Liverpool team. It's more about the the linkage between the back and the front and the pressing and the overall energy. So, all in all, I think that Liverpool are doing pretty well. Uh, there are some some warning signs, but, you know, every single team, even like the best teams, they go through, they go through tough times in a season. And this is one of those points where I think that Liverpool need to to respond to a little bit of adversity in the Premier League. You can't discount the fact that they've already clinched their group, first place in their group, when they're playing against AC Milan and uh, Atletico Madrid and Porto, which is a very, very tough Champions League group. Um, yeah. And they've won every single game. So, yeah, you can't complain. It's, I guess it's just my, my standards have been elevated. As a Liverpool fan, my standards have been elevated to be so high where I expect to win every single game, you know. Yeah. Which is where they should be. Right. Which was almost where they are. They're still unbeaten in the, or actually they were unbeaten and they lost to West Ham. So they've only had one loss in the league. Like you can't really complain about, about that too much. Another news um, just broke yesterday actually is Liverpool legend CVG has returned to the Prem. He was managing Rangers in Scotland and now he is the Aston Villa manager. Yeah, I mean, big news, big move. Um, I mean, CVG to Villa and Frank Lampard, I don't know if this has been announced yet officially, but he he seems to be pretty much set to be going to Norwich as well. Yep. Um, lots of managerial changes. Eddie Howe is confirmed to Newcastle. Um, but yeah, I mean, CVG to Villa, that's, this is going to be a really interesting move because, you know, he's had his time to to go establish himself a little bit. He's done well with Rangers. Um, I think he's done well with Rangers. You know, some people still say that he had, he could have won a lot of trophies and only won one. Um, but, you know, he did win one. So credit to him. He's had them playing good football and um, it's ready for him to make that move, I think. And this is, this is perfect, I think. And he's not making the move like Frank Lampard from Derby County to Chelsea. Definitely. He's not jumping from Rangers to Liverpool. Or, you know, obviously he wouldn't go to United, but he's not making that jump. It's a nice in-between. You know, he's going to Villa. Um, a good stepping stone, I think. And I think conveniently, well, I saw reports that hit. I've seen, I've seen conflicting reports. Some say that his contract is two years or two and a half years because this is a half year to the end of the season. And some say his contract is three and a half years. And conveniently, Klopp has two and a half years left in his contract. So maybe, maybe we'll see like him manage Villa if all things go well for a couple of seasons. And then once Klopp leaves, Gerard, if he's, still, you know, performing well. as a manager, then he could take over the reins as, as a Liverpool manager, which a lot of people seem keen on him to do. Um, so, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I think he's, well, he's not lucky, but I think he's inheriting a good Villa team. The reason they've sacked Dean Smith, who, I mean, Dean Smith's a legend. He, he's gotten them to where they are right now. 
um, back in the Premier League, back being a relevant club, an attractive club. But, I mean, this Villa team, I know that they lost Jack Grealish. They should not be sitting 16th place in the league, Clay. They've also points. lost five games in a row in, in the league. So Five losses on the trot, 10 points in 11 games. This Villa team is not that bad. They have some, some, they have some real talent on that team. They yep. lost Jack Grealish, but they spent big to replace him. They yep. signed Leon Bailey, they signed Emi Buendia, they signed Danny Ings. They, you know what I mean? They, they have talent. They brought in people to shore up the defense. Um, this Villa team should not be in 16th. And so I think from that perspective, CVG is coming into a good project. Because he has a lot of talent, and it's not—it's not like he's coming in a team that's you know really bad. And it's like, okay, how do I turn this around? He does have to turn things around, but he has talent to work with. Um, so, I don't know. I think I think it's set up for him to do to do really well here. Yeah, I think it's really exciting for him. Uh, you know, it's always good to see uh, an ex-Liverpool or any player you're a fan of uh, get a good opportunity to progress his own managerial career after playing. Uh, this is a kind of interesting. I, I I remember when we were talking about Ole and how I was mm-hmm. saying that there is a danger in a it's a double edged sword when you have an ex legend managing your club. Uh, and I think oh, that yeah. right now the stars are beginning to align for Gerard to manage Liverpool um, because one on one side it could go great and he could just cement his legacy even further. Which, for the record, I don't know how Gerard could cement his Liverpool legacy any further than it is right now. <laughs> but maybe winning the Premier League. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other side of the sword is it goes terribly wrong. And then you're, like we were saying with Ole, his reputation with the fans and with the club has done a complete 180. And people are now seeing him as a failure and uh, as a manager. And then, you know, recency bias, people are just going to remember that as his legacy at Manchester United, not his glory as a player. Um, and w- with that, it is harder for a team, for the club to to move on from the manager when things aren't going well um, yeah. because of their prior existing relationship with them. So I'm excited to see how it goes. Like, nevertheless, I still want Gerard to be Liverpool manager eventually, um, but I just really, really hope it goes well. I, well, I, I do have to say, though, the next two games are against Brighton and Palace. They have to win those two games or at least do well in those next two games because the three games after that are City, Leicester, Liverpool. And so if he – I understand you can't expect the big start with the new manager. He needs time. But if he comes in and gets a slow start against Brighton and Palace, who have both been good, by the way, in these last few weeks, yep. if he gets a slow start against Brighton and Palace, you, don't, you wouldn't expect him to get wins against City, Leicester, Liverpool, and then all of a sudden it's another five games without a win. So – you know what I mean? And that's it, it's always hard to recover from a rough start. So I feel like he needs to do well in these first couple of games, which is a big ask. But, you know, Palace is another great example of um, a le- not legend of the club. But there's a lot of these legendary players who are now making their way into Premier League management. You know, Frank Lampard's going to be at Norwich. CVG is at Villa. We already talked about Oli. Arteta is managing. Um, Arsenal. Arsenal. Patrick Vieira managing. Crystal Palace, Steve Bruce, he's way older, but, you know, he's he's a legendary <laughs> player. Um, but a lot of these players, Pep, not in the Premier League, but he was, a, so Pep's different. But a lot of legendary Premier League players are now starting to make their way into management, which is kind of exciting. We might see Rooney coming up, as people say, if he does well with Derby, um, manages to save them from their, their troubles they're going through right now. So that's, that is exciting, but it's a double-edged sword, like you said. Yeah. All right, let's, 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 look, at, let's look at our table that we had predicted 
at the beginning of the year and kind of compare it to the current table and then see how we wanted to, if we wanted to make any switches. So we'll start at the bottom and Craig, your relegation squad was Brighton in 20th, Burnley in 19th and Norwich in 18th. And I had Norwich in 20th, Burnley in 19th and Brentford in 18th. So um, I have current and currently it's Norwich in 20th, Newcastle in 19th and Burnley in 18th. So um, currently I have two of the three relegation teams. Correct. And Craig, you have also two of the three relegation teams. Correct. Yeah. I think you're going to probably change Brighton not getting relegated. Right. <laughs> yeah. I have two of the teams. Correct. And one horribly wrong And to be, to be fair to me, I will say, and you know, if people people know me, that they do know this about me. I have always sung Brighton's praises. I've always sung Graham Potter's praises, and this was one of those. This is one of the pains that you don't know until you actually try to predict the Premier League table. Is you think it's like it's oh it's easy whatever, but then when you're actually predicting it, you end it's up tough. like because for example, before I put Brighton in twentieth, I had them in twelfth, and I had Newcastle in like nineteenth, and then I was like oh, but you don't you just don't know what to expect. I was like oh maybe I'm being biased. Then next thing you know, my predictions end up with Newcastle in 12th and Brighton in 20th. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I went to the, I went to my prediction saying, okay, I know Brighton's going to suck this year. Um, or, or I know that Newcastle is going to be top 12. I just, it's just the bottom half of the table. You, you just have to, you kind of just have to make guesses. And uh, I guess wrong, man, did I guess wrong? So, Wait, so what's team, what's team when you slot in, in place of Brighton? So Newcastle's in there right now in 19th, but I mean, surely with Eddie Howe coming in, all the positivity around the new ownership and stuff, you would you would expect them hopefully to to move out of that zone. Right now, um, they're five points behind, or they're three points behind Burnley in 18th, and then they're an additional two points, so they're a total of five points behind Watford and Villa, who both sit above the relegation zone. I feel like, I mean, as sad as it is. I feel like I have to go Watford, right? As looking the most likely out of the the other teams, because Villa, you hope would turn things around. They have too good of a squad to get relegated. Um, Leeds, I mean, Leeds have not been good this season. No, they have not. Um, they were really surely, hyped, and we we put them to be. We both predicted them to be eighth, and right now they're in sixteenth. Yeah, but surely they have enough quality. Brentford, I think they've convinced me that, that they have quality to stay up. Although, what are they? Four losses or something in a row now? Four out of the last five have been losses. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's not great for them. It's either Brentford or Watford, and I have to go with Watford just because Brentford have been better. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I, I, uh, I'm going to keep Berlin and Norris going down, and then my Brentford. I'm also going to back Newcastle to get go up because I had Watford in 17th. I think we can just do a little flip flop there, and slide Watford into that third relegations relegation spot. Um, so we have the same three relegation. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so right now. Um, let's go to the, where, how do you want to do this, Craig? Do you want to go to like the middle of the table or what do you want to do? Um, let's do top four. Okay. Let's try to do the, the ones that are, because it's hard to sort out the middle and the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so your top four, actually, we had the same exact top four. And this was, I remember when we were recording this, this was like crazy because I thought that, I mean, most people were predicting City to win the league. And yeah. um, there, was a, there was a consensus top four, but the order wasn't really that consensus after, I think the consensus top number one was City. But both of us predicted Chelsea to win. 
and then City in second, and then Liverpool in third, and United in fourth. Currently, as it stands, we have Chelsea, then City, then West Ham, then Liverpool, then Arsenal, and then United sitting in sixth right now. Um, but you know, they're only three or they're only five points off fourth place. So a lot of a lot of games to be played still. Um, Craig, are you gonna change it at all, or what do you think? I'm actually gonna stick with stick with the top four. We discussed it earlier, and you know, we we hope we don't know, but we hope even if Ollie stays in the job, I think he's got it in him. I mean, he's he's gotten top four, you know, the last pretty much every season. I think every season he's been in the league. He's he's secured us top four. Um, and with the squad, I think he's good enough to at least squeak out top four, assuming things don't go horribly wrong. So I think United's gonna stay in that fourth spot and I, I don't think Chelsea have shown any reason for me to, to not back them. In fact, they've shown more reason for me to back them to finish first. And then, yeah, City and Liverpool, it's, it's a toss-up. But, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know really know what to say. But maybe, maybe, hey, maybe what I said about Liverpool will come true. Maybe they'll just drop a couple points, a couple of draws here and there. I don't know. I have no logic behind City and Liverpool. That's just what I think is going to happen. Yep. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to flip-flop mine a little bit. I'm going to flop switch Liverpool and City. I think that maybe this is just my bias showing. Um, and I guess after go, even going into this year, I was still the last year, the disappointment of last year was still fresh in my mind. Um, and mm. uh, so I was a little bit jaded, but now my hope has been restored in this Liverpool squad. And I've been reminded why they have won the Champions League and why they have won the Premier League with the same personnel of players um, and the same manager. And for that, I'm going to put them in second. I don't think that I can really go away from Chelsea winning it right now, just considering how dominant they have been, especially recently. Um, mm-hmm. And in big games, they've been they've been very, very good. Um, so I think I have to keep Chelsea at first, but I'm going to put Liverpool in second and then City in third. There's just some things about City that there are these weird games where, you know, sometimes they'll thrash a team 5-0, 6-0, 7-1. They'll put so many they'll just like obliterate some teams and then they'll show up the next the next game weirdly and just like not look like they even want to be there right and sometimes mm-hmm. they're just passing it around and not really like doing anything about it and just like you said how liverpool can get caught off and and drop some points i think that city have proven that they can do that too um until they really fix that striker position i think that they might be susceptible to dropping the odd points here and there, just like Liverpool are. And for that, I'm going to use my my fandom as a tiebreaker and put Liverpool in second and then City in third. And then actually I'm going to have, like I, I've said that United can, and only can do a job to finish top four, but I'm going to put West Ham in that, in that spot. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you extend the end of last year into this year it's been a very it's been a pretty prolonged run of success for them and man they have been looking very very good um especially when you consider that they've also been playing in europe i that was my main concern with them when i predicted them to be finishing in ninth and you predicted them in 10th i think we both agreed that they were going to struggle with the the fixture congestion right because now their mm. squad that was not too as deep as some of the bigger teams is being stretched a little bit more. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to put them in fourth because as a product of their success and also United not looking too convincing. I have 
Um, well, I have no issue with anything of what you said. Um, and it's definitely very conceivable, United not finishing top four. But I think it's interesting that you put West Ham as the, the team that you picked because I'm actually going to put Arsenal in fifth place after United ahead of West Ham. Really? Be- yeah, because I think you know they've really started to look good recently. Uh, no, no losses in their last five, three wins in their last five. Um, they're playing good football and defensively they've looked solid. Um, Ramsdale has been a revelation. Their back line's kind of come into fruition. Um, I mean, Arsenal have a lot of good, really exciting young players that they a have. A lot been... of exciting young yeah. players. So Arsenal, they're looking good. They're, they're getting some confidence. They play United very soon. Um, you know, that could add even more confidence. And I, I mean, I, I think, you know, finally Arteta's, you know, finding some success and finding his feet and they have so much excitement and youth. And so, even though they ha- don't technically have the same squad depth as, for say, for example, you well, actually, I'm having them finish below United, maybe because they don't have the same squad depth. Their depth consists of, you know, excitement, exciting new talent. Right. Um, but I, I do think that that's going to get their experience as a club, as, you know, is going to just just edge it for me and put them in fifth and then West Ham in sixth. Um, because West Ham, they're still at the end of the day. We've seen this with lots of clubs. Um, you know, clubs that are doing really well. This is not the same case, but Sheffield did it. They were contending, like they were right at the top, you know, fifth, sixth place the entire season. And they ended up finishing ninth at the end. Um, Villa did it last year, doing really well. And then they ended up finishing, you know, wherever closer to ninth, 10th as well. West Ham, same thing. Um, they did get Europe, which was a big achievement, but you thought they might finish higher. Um, Leeds, you know, same thing. And so a lot of these teams that start off really exciting and, and they end up being exciting maybe just throughout the whole season aren't able to maintain it the same way as some of the big, the big guns are able to maintain that. Um, they have so to you still classify games. Arsenal as a big gun. N- n- uh, well, obviously <laughs> not, but I'm saying, I'm saying because of their, they still have the players to be classified as a big gun. Definitely. I agree. Or they're, um, they're so getting, they're gaining the players to be, they're getting, they're getting their momentum. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you would still put them above West Ham if you're on paper, right? So, um, that's why I would put Arsenal at fifth and West Ham at sixth. What would you have as fifth and sixth? I mean, I think it'd be a crime not to, I, I can't put Arsenal above United. I do like Arsenal, what they've been doing. And I think that Arteta is finally starting to put the pieces together, his investment in, um, the youth and giving playing time towards young players, even though it came sometimes at a cost of points immediately has, is starting to pay off. Hmm. Um, so I just can't put them above United right now. Uh, so I guess I'm going to go with fifth United and then sixth Arsenal. So um, pretty similar. I mean, the top. Yeah, pretty are... similar. Pretty similar. So that means that we both had predicted Leicester as the fifth place team. And currently they have been not good this year. They wow. sit in 12th place. Um, and I guess they're tied on points with. 11th and 10th in Palace and Everton, but man, Craig, so we've both have now booted them out of the Europa league teams and now into the conference league discussion, I guess. Do you think that they're going to be able to rebound and get into back into Europe next year or what's up with them? Oh, it's so tough because in a weird way, even though a lot of teams, a lot of these teams have not been playing well in a weird way. I think that, I don't know. I still have hope for a lot of these Premier League teams. For example, we're talking about Leicester. I'm actually 
I'm actually going to put Tottenham next. Um, not because of anything they've shown me at all whatsoever, but because of Conte's reputation and his achievements as a manager, he goes into teams that might be struggling and completely turns around and usually wins trophies with them. That uh, winning trophies at Tottenham is a stretch for any manager, but I do think he's got, got it in him to at least to get them up to, you know, seventh place, which I mean, it's not, it's still not a great finish for Tottenham, but I think that, yeah, and then Leicester, I don't really know. I mean, what do you even say about Leicester? You expected so much from them. They, the last two seasons, they've been they've been top four the entire season and then dropped off. Maybe this season, they've started off horribly, and everyone was expecting so much. They recruited well. Um, they looked good against United a few weeks ago, and they demolished them 4-2 or whatever. Could have been worse. But then, yeah, it's just, you know, two wins in their last five, a loss, two draws. Negative two goal differential, 15 points after 11 games is not great. I would probably put, I would still, I don't know. I need to think. I'm going to go Tottenham seventh for now and then look at, because look at the other teams that are contending for those spots. I mean, Brighton look great. Palace look great. Everton have got a lot of quality on the team. Um, Wolves are, look, are looking really good in the last few games. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just think that this comes down to, for me, I think that Leicester is still are in contention. I mean, they're only they're only two points behind United right now, who are in six. So yeah, like the the gap between twelfth and sixth place is two points, and we're only a third of the way through the season. I think that speaks more to the fact how how much parity there has been in the league this year. Even the teams up up top have have dropped points to to teams you would not expect them to. Um, we just talked about how Liverpool dropped points to Brighton and they lost, they drew against Brentford earlier this year. So um, with that being said, I still think that Le- Le- Leicester are in the discussion for that, I guess, seventh place uh, spot. And it comes down to the fact that if you're going to back Conte to turn around this Tottenham team, because I think that on paper, the two squads of Leicester and Tottenham, I would honestly give the, the edge don't let clay troy or, or matt hear this but i think i would i would give the edge to, to lester, to the lester right? Right. <laughs> yeah um just speak i mean i'm just being honest you know uh yeah. so it comes down to me brendan rogers versus conte and oh man i don't know i i think that i'm gonna i'm gonna back my prediction earlier and because i had lester finishing above tottenham at the beginning of the year i'm just gonna stick with that and just shift them both down a spot so i'll have lester in six and then or Leicester in seventh and then Tottenham in eighth. Okay. Um, it's like, so moving to my eighth place, I guess. I mean, I, I agree with you. There's nothing, there's nothing between Leicester and, I mean, even top four, there's seven points off of Liverpool, which is a lot of points, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it could be a lot worse. 15, 12th place to fifth to fourth place is only seven points. Any of these teams could finish anywhere. And you make good points about Leicester. But then, you know, what about Wolves? They're they're coming. They're looking really good. They have some talented players, and they're finally their new coach is starting to perform. He was new at the beginning of the season. Maybe he needed some time. What about Palace? No losses in their last five, which is huge for a team like Palace. They're not going to be in. I'm not going to put them in eighth place. You know, 10th is probably where they are right now. That's probably par. But remember at the very beginning of the year when we were like, oh, man. This could be a long, or this could be a short stint for Patrick Vieira, like all this stuff. And now that he's been, he's been yeah. putting them 
putting them through it. Brighton. I mean, Brighton, to be fair, they haven't won in their last five games. So, you know, they, they are starting to, to lose the wins, but, you know, they, they draw Liverpool. They've, they haven't been losing. Um, but I guess overall, I'll, I'll go with you. Um, maybe just for safety's sake, I'll put Leicester in eighth. So you put them in seventh, we'll flip-flop. I'll do Tottenham seventh, Leicester eighth. And then, should I do my ninth and tenth? Yeah, go for it. So right now we have the teams that are still available for us to be placed are uh, Villa, Brentford, Brighton, Palace, Everton, Leeds, Newcastle, Southampton, and Wolves. I'm going to put... Oh, so I think Palace is 10th. Oh, so you're going to back them to keep it up. I think so. Oh, boy, this is hard. I'm going to go Wolves 9th, Palace. Oh, no, but what about Everton and Brighton? Oh, no. I wish I had 12 top 10 spots, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Top 12. Um, Because... I'm going to have to drop Palace down because Everton's been so bad, but it's Everton. Surely they're going to bounce back. They've got so much shot. They have a lot of injuries. Okay, okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ninth place. I'll walk from the bottom. Work from the bottom up. 12th place, Palace. 11th place, Brighton. 10th place, No, this is tough. They see like the middle of the table just gets so even. Okay. All right, fine. 12th place, 12th place. 12th place Palace, 11th place Brighton, 10th place Wolves, 9th place Everton. Because not because Everton have convinced me, they've looked really bad. Or not really bad, but not great. Um but because they have injuries coming back. They yeah. have DCL coming back. They they've got some 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 players coming back. I'm going to keep uh, Brighton in 12th, as I predicted, just because I don't want to change that one. I think that's a good spot for them to sit at, and if I don't have to change it, I won't. Um, I think that uh, maybe I I put Everton in ninth just because, like you said, I think that they can pull it through. Um, They've had some really bad luck with injuries. And then I'll put Wolves in 10th. Oh, man, then 11th place. For me, uh, Leeds have been so bad this year, but like, do I think they're going to finish below Palace? No. So I'm going to put Leeds in 11th. Um, I expect Bielsa to be able to turn it around. And so I guess my, my nine through 12 will be Everton Wolves, Leeds, Brighton. Um, so and that mine leaves- was Everton's, what, what was mine? Everton Wolves. You had Everton, Wolves, Palace, or Brighton Palace, yeah. So, um, I guess well, let's just run through 13 through 17 real quickly. I'm gonna you go first. Okay, I'm gonna put Palace in 13th. I think that they've they've really started to hit their gears, and they have a lot of young players that are that are starting to come through that they signed this summer. Specifically, Olise, who I think is going to be really good. He was one of the best players in the championship last year, and. after that, I think CVG will keep Villa going, and I'll put them in uh, 14th. I think he's going to do a good job, and they'll be safe from relegation. 15th, 16th, and 17th, 
Um, Brentford, Newcastle, and Southampton. Those are the three teams I have left. I'm going to put Brentford and 15th. I think they, they've, out of those three teams, have shown the most this year to be able to, to stay up relatively comfortably. 16th and 17th, Newcastle or Southampton. Right now, Southampton are in 13th and Newcastle are in 19th. And there are nine points separating the two right now. And for that reason, I'm just going to put Southampton in 16th and then Newcastle in just barely avoiding relegation in 17th. Can you imagine if Newcastle get relegated after this, right after they got taken over financially? That That would would be be the worst thing to happen for them um, because they probably wouldn't be able to spend as, they they would not be able to spend as nearly as much money um, as they would have hoped if they get relegated to the championship. And that would just be a huge setback in there. And their plan to eventually become one of a return to becoming one of the Premier League's biggest teams. So, Craig, let me hear your, uh, I guess your thirteen through seventeen. Teams. Yeah, I'll go Leeds in in thirteenth, um, Villa in fourteenth, Brentford fifteenth, uh, Southampton sixteenth, and Newcastle seventeenth. Yeah, I think that. I would like to back Newcastle to be hired um, just because of the, like you said, like I said earlier, the money and the new manager, but the fact that they're already so far behind everyone else. Yeah. That's the reason is that, is that they already have, they only have five points so far. If this was a clean slate, you know, if, if all these teams were at zero and we were making these predictions, then I think Newcastle would be actually higher for me. Um, but we have to take into account where they are right now. And so, Yeah. Yeah, crazy though. Leeds and Villa, both teams that you and I thought would be in the top ten, um, comfortably, well, not comfortably. We thought they'd be in the top ten, and now we're we're discussing them 13, 14 spots. Yeah, I mean, I put Villa in fourteenth, and then I still have Leeds finishing eleventh. I think that they could, they could turn around, but I don't know. Their defense is astonishingly bad. Uh, <laughs> But looking forward to this upcoming weekend, tomorrow we have Leicester versus Chelsea um, and what? Liverpool versus Arsenal highlighting the highlighting the, the the games. What? When? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, no, next what? week. Next week. No, sorry. Next this week. This is the international break, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Next week, we have Leicester versus Chelsea and Liverpool versus Arsenal, which we will be taking. And then United play Watford, as we said. There's some interesting games next week, actually. City versus Everton. Tottenham versus Leeds. So um, we'll be taking a quick closer look at those um, next week, closer to the, I guess, when they kick off. And other than that, Craig, anything else from you? No. I mean, I, it's definitely, I mean, I'm excited because we're, we're getting into that, that winter season, which yeah. is super exciting. Lots of games. And this is key. I mean, we're going to, we'll probably do, we'll revisit our predictions again in like mid January because then, you know, that's when things really start okay, now you know how teams are going to look. We have a little bit more idea. This is where the separation tends to happen is in December in this Christmas period. So hopefully, you know, we're in for some excitement here. Yep. Just the season and we'll be back with you guys next week. Next week. <laughs>